once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 58. As we always like to do, a reminder to please download, rate, review, leave a review, share with a friend. Thanks to everyone who's checked out the podcast, checked out a couple times, checked out multiple times. We try to keep a high standard as we do this week with very special guest, former U.S. international, now soccer football pundit here in the U.S., Charlie Davies, and we will talk about Major League Soccer as he is the broadcaster for the New England Revolution. We'll talk a little bit about the men's national team, and we'll even dabble in some of the European game. And one of the topics that I will also be addressing here shortly in Jesse Marsh. That is coming up in the business end with Charlie. In stoppage time, we will take a closer look through my scope at what happened this weekend at the Estadio Corregidora between Querétaro and Atlas fans, some of the most revolting optics we have seen in sports ever. And this is not an accident. This is something that we will certainly get into it here very shortly. It, it escalated, and we don't know what to make of it because we're not getting clear, accurate news, it would appear. That's coming up in stoppage time. Big weekend all over the globe, so we will get right into it right now. The Soccer OG, let's go! All right, we are off and running. Uh, This is, I look forward to every podcast, obviously, but this one in particular because I'm, I'm running out of room of where I can talk about some of these topics. We obviously have an American perspective, but if you're fans of the world game, we certainly want you to come in and check it out because I'm watching. I know you're watching and there's so many compelling stories. I love it. I love this sport and uh, I really appreciate having an outlet like this and I'm glad you guys are digging it and I promise to continue to elevate it as we, uh, we're getting some good, some good footing here and uh, you know, it's all about finding relationships, partnerships, getting some money into the pod so that we can hire people to certainly make it a bigger deal. Check out the Soccer OG YouTube as well, under my name, Max Bretos, a new video coming out on Monday night. Couldn't do it last night as I was on the clock with LAFC at the stadium as they took on Portland, always a big rivalry game. It was very cool, man. (laughs) When I I caught ear that Weston McKinney was invited by the club to check him out there, so I said hello to him. He is as lovely as you could imagine. It was a very brief conversation. I don't want to take up too much, but it was basically like this. I go, Weston, you're the best, man. You never turn down a photo or an autograph. He goes, no, I like it. And then I said, don't ask for a photo now. So that's why I don't have one. I did a creeper video, you know, filming him from afar. That's what I mean. So you can check that out. It's on my Twitter as well as Instagram. But he is just a ray of light. And when he comes into a room, and he's a big, he's a big dude. I mean, for, for the player in the position, I think we always think soccer players are diminutive and he's obviously no Peter Crouch in height, but he he has a serious presence. That's going to grow. He has a smile that lights up 100 yards in every direction. And you can see the kids in particular were going bananas. And I think that's important to have these American players that are accessible. And the marketing value for Weston McKinney is astronomical in my estimation because he is so relatable. Uh, you know, he, he spent time in Germany growing up, but he's also an American kid. With, and Christian Pulisic obviously is the same way. And uh, Christian Pulisic is already on a rocket ship. But Weston McKinney, we should get him on there as well. And this is exciting because we're going to see these guys in mainstream advertising, I would imagine, certainly if the projection of the World Cup keeps going. So 
I did want to talk about the European leagues, but I just want to scrape over really quickly. The big conversation to me is who finishes fourth in the Prem. The Manchester Derby has opened up uh, some questions more than ever about Manchester United. The pressure starts to feel like it's mounting on Ralph Rangnick, where it really wasn't just a couple weeks ago, because they were undressed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, as De Bruyne scored two, Mahrez scored two, 70% possession, 24 shots to five. That was uh, that was uh, a men against the boys, as many of the English uh, news services would describe it. We talked about Christian Pulisic and playing for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea were just dominant over the weekend. And for me, Christian Pulisic scoring a goal, and it, look, it, it, he... It was a mishit in uh, in that game that allowed him to score, but he put himself in great possession to get those opportunities. And he had an assist, a beautiful ball to Kai Havertz, and then he was able to get the goal in uh, the four zip victory over Burnley. And just he's just he was everywhere. And to me, he looked as good as he has. Uh, I would say. Remember when we came out of the pandemic and then there was those games in front of empty stadiums and it was the game against Manchester City where he scored that incredible goal and Chelsea were able to get the victory. There was like two games where I thought he played as as good as he's ever played on the club level. I don't want to sound like hubris or a prisoner of the moment here, but the way he played against Burnley, and it's Burnley, but he played in his position, he was everywhere. I thought that was the best he may have looked which is great news as we have the World Cup qualifiers almost just two weeks away. And by the way, we'll talk about that Azteca game as it applies to what happened between Querétaro and Atlas. And look, we, I mentioned the clubs because they're on the hook for this too. But Christian Pulisic looked fantastic. I also checked out the Norwich game. Norwich are really, really poor. But I'm, And we heard about Greg Berhalter going to see Norwich play in a cup game. And he's looking at Josh Sargent. He's Sargent's in the roster, but I'm really thinking if he's looking at Sargent to see if there's somewhere he can get him into the starting eleven. I truly believe that. And Josh Sargent is the is a real good player. If you're if we're not going to get a striker who's scoring goals, Josh Sargent's the best bet of a number nine who can come out further in the midfield, harass the Mexican midfield. And at the very least, add another body defensively. Because that's what he does with Norwich. He pops up everywhere, puts out fires. To me, he's one of the two or three better players. At least he was in the last couple games, even though he is not scoring goals. So Josh Sargent, to me, is trending pretty sharply up. Jordan Peefock scored. He's going to make the squad. I think they both do. Um, and then uh, over in, uh, in Spain... Barcelona, what Xavi's doing is spectacular. I and, I and I always feel like Barcelona really should pay a heavy price for their financial situation. And they are. But what I mean is is they're probably going to, they shouldn't be able to make the Champions League this year on form. They should be struggling because they had to jettison some players. But they've brought some guys in. All the transfers have hit. And this team is going to make the Champions League unless the bottom falls out. And they might do well in the Europa League as they've made the next straight, the next stage of that tournament as well. So, Barca doing great. Real Madrid looked good as they thumped Sociedad. Uh, by the way, I wanted to go to Manchester United again real quickly because uh, Roy Keane is just a delight when you see him on these Sky Sports pre- and post-games. And he said, there are five or six players that I think should never start again. <laughs> he just gets into it. 
So, again, Europe's going great. Major League Soccer, two weeks in, a lot to discuss. Uh, check out 110 Football. It's a, a channel I'm working for, and we're doing some great LAFC and MLS content. 110 Football on YouTube. It, it's out right there as well. And by the way, with the Manchester United situation, I feel bad because Ralph Ragnick sort of becoming a bit of a punchline along the way. Let's talk about Jesse Marsh briefly. And obviously, I... Again, I, you might say I just go a little overboard with some of these comments, but I really do believe this is important, important work what Jesse is doing. I cannot emphasize how important this stretch is for American coaches because if he can save leads, and that right now they're above the cut line, it changes some of the perception. The perception of American coaches and American everything in England is still so, uh, so very flawed. Uh, I, I saw some of the, the Gabriel Agbon Lahore. I, I retweeted. I felt bad about retweeting it. Maybe I shouldn't. It's a horrible take. And and now Ted Lasso has kind of got, has been weaponized to uh, criticize Americans. It's a TV show, and about a player, a, 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 a American player, American coach taking over. You know, you've all seen it, but they, it's, it keeps coming up. And I'm like, all right, that's enough. This is a TV show. Let's separate the two. So I can't emphasize enough how big that's going to be. There is a stigma. Now, if they are relegated, I, I don't know what that does for American coaches because that means he didn't do the job. Uh, this weekend should have got uh, a result against Leicester City. Leicester at home getting a goal late. and But throughout the game, Leeds were the, the dominant force. Should have scored multiple goals. Patrick Bamford back on the bench. Uh Dan James, Rafinha, Jack Harrison all playing very well. By the way, just so I know how good leads were, Casper Schmeichel, the Leicester goalie, is on a lot of team of the weeks in uh, from the Premier League weekend. That means he was uh, very busy. Uh, Jim Proudfoot, who, by the way, you know, the English announcers, to me, I think Proudfoot's the best. He is so good calling a game. Minimizes the cliches, etc., and so forth. So uh, he called Casper Schmeichel brilliant. So that's how I know. 19 shots to seven. So uh, now Jesse Marsh enters a very important stretch. Just look at the March dates. Leeds Villa, March 10th. March 13th, Leeds Norwich. March 18th, Wolves Leeds. Need some points out of there. How many? Let's put it at four, five. That will go a long way. And then April 2nd and April 9th, they have games. April 9th at Watford, who's one of the relegation candidates as well. If Jesse Marsh keeps them up and he keeps the job, this is the biggest development in U.S. coaching because everything else has been... And look, you can punch holes through it because Bob Bradley should have had more time, but he um, didn't last at Swansea. Jesse Marsh didn't last at Leipzig. A lot of times it's viewed as where there's an American ownership that they will look at American coaches. Uh, but it is... And there's a, an American connection, obviously, with Leeds. But this is it has to be form-based. And Jesse Marsh off to a good start. But he has to kind of, he has to get these points along the way. And hopefully they get healthier. And I think the Bamford return is very good. So good start from Jesse Marsh. We'll be keeping tabs of it here on the podcast. And we'll talk more about it next week. Hopefully uh, a victorious league. Because I think they have two games next week. Midweek and then over on Thursday, Sunday, I believe. But we have a big show here, including Charlie Davies. who will talk about all those great topics. We'll talk about Jesse Marsh. That's coming up in the business end. Stick around for stoppage time. This is the Soccer OG.
back here on the Soccer OG. It's time now for the business end and a thrill to welcome in a guy who I've shared a booth with. Gave me a lot of thrills as a, as a U.S. men's national team player and back in the day with his skills at Sochaux Montbelliard. And Charlie Davies, I will say this, we talk about players playing overseas and I didn't expect me to start off at this place, but <laughs> I was covering these leagues and then the French league had no Americans and lo and behold, here comes Charlie Davies. What was that like? That You look like you're having a good time, but just see, I, I mean, we see how many Europe, American players are in Europe now, but at that, that early stage, it's changed so much. And this generation certainly owes a lot to the last one. And, and I certainly owe a lot to the one that came before me. So I think for me it was to go to France was an exciting adventure, something that I had craved for once you get a taste of, of elite competition. And so Carlos Bocanegra, uh, fortunate for me, was had already played in France and he kind of gave me, you know, the background needed before I made that move. And so, you know, you go from playing in, in Sweden and no disrespect to the, the Elsvenskan Was it, was it Hammerby? Hammerby, yeah. I remember your whole career, dude. Yeah, it was <laughs> incredible. It couldn't have been a better place for me to start. And my coach, Tony Gustafsson, uh, really helped me develop you know he got to learn me as a person what got me to tick and how to how to push me and so you go to you go from playing there to playing against champions league level players and teams what a jump and what a what an experience the the one moment that i always look back at is my coach at the time uh would find me uh, his name was francis gilo he went on to coach bordeaux and then i think he went on to coach in china as well he'd find me a hundred euros Anytime I spoke English at all, whether I was in the locker room or on the pitch. <laughs> so how was, how was your French then? Is it, it was, it, it was pretty good. I, I know. But the <laughs> thing is, even when I spoke French and you know, it's, if it's not perfect, your teammates go, no, nah, just talk English, just speak English to me. But I don't want to lose a hundred. I don't want to lose a hundred exactly. bones. <laughs> I'm not trying to lose a hundred bones. <laughs> so, Boca Negra, do you play for Ren? Is that, or. Yes, he was God, for Ren. I remember there was a few group. I remember Vanny played at yes. Bastia. There was like four yes, or five. He did. It was it was so and there's not a lot of Americans in France now. Obviously, Tim Way is no, there yeah. and uh, Conrad de la it's a growing group and it's a cool league to be part of. That had to be cool. That was a cool jersey too. You had the blue and yellow. So cool. It How was, was the so town? Cool. The town was like I'd always describe it as a beauty and the beast town. You know, you have the shutters, people open it, it up. I got it then, perfectly envisioned. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, at times you, you have the, the siesta. So people would go and nap in the middle of the day. They would not work. So the stores would be closed for an hour, two hours in the afternoon. And then they come back to work. And that, that was my town. <laughs> I'm a big believer in siestas. Did you ever partake in that? Because I know I, after eating lunch, I'm like, I have an hour where I struggle. And if I could get a nap in, I know I'd be a lot more productive, but we don't have that culture here. But I would encourage maybe kicking the tires on it. Absolutely. I, I did take advantage of it. I'm not going to lie. I took advantage of it. Do you still take advantage of it? I don't, don't even have the time to sleep properly at night. So I wish I could take advantage of it. Well, dude, I got to say, because I remember we did a U.S. Open Cup game and you were you were great because you're trying to be like, give me some tips. What are, I mean, what should I do? And you listened. I remember you gave me this look. I'm, I'm soaking this in. And now... Obviously, doing stuff with the Revs with Brad, uh, CBS, which is are, are coming into the the marketplace with a lot of 
uh, momentum and covering the national team, which is a huge job. And I, I you know, really, it's fun to see you and Mo and Gooch and uh, obviously Clint and Kate Abdo up there doing all that stuff. So uh, how, where are you? And this, this obviously is something you wanted to do. You've got, you've, you've put the time in, which I think is so key for any young former player or someone in my boots to do it and learning and doing different things. So what is, what has worked for you to get you to where you are now? Well, I have to thank all the people that's, that have really helped me along the way. And I go back to, you know, 2015, 16 uh, in that area, especially right after I, I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, Stu Holden and, and Shaw Brown, those were the two people that really kind of got my foot in the door, uh, told me kind of what to prepare for, what to expect. And so once I had those initial conversations when I was ready to retire, um, they kind of helped me tr with the transition and, and major league soccer had been kind of at the forefront with, Hey, we have this great opportunity for you, you know, be a part of our coverage. Um, help also Simon Borg was like, Hey, write some articles. Simon, yes. Um, and, and had me just like kind of jump in to do everything. And I think the best piece of advice was to try everything, you know, don't, don't put yourself into a corner and say, you're only going to do this because that's, what you imagine, try everything. Cause you may like things that you never would have thought. Um, and so I literally said, let me practice with, with doing, covering my, my team with the New England revolution. So I worked with NBC sports, Boston, and I hosted a show. And that is a, a different type of skill set that you, that you can add to your repertoire in the end. Right. So hosting a show, uh, doing interviews, conducting interviews, and then it was with Major League Soccer. Okay, we're doing the recaps. We're doing all these studio shows. And I, I, I remember getting to work with you for the first time. I was like, this is awesome. And it really gave me a foundation. And it's, I'll tell anybody, it's all about the reps, right? So as yeah. much as, as you're willing to work, the better it is for you in the end. And, and it's about not only the, the quantity, but it's the quality. And so I had so many different people along the way helping me out, you uh, included in that giving me those tips. I had so much energy. Naturally, I have a lot of energy, but sometimes if you go over the top, you take away from what you want to say, right? Trust me, <laughs> I was in the same camp. I was like, I'd come in hot and I go, all right, okay, this is fine too. And I, I, because I, I was, I was in that industry, in this industry and I look back, oh, man, I made, I made mistakes. I owned them and then I, I got better and I fleshed it out and I mean, I still do it today. And I've been in this for 26 years, but I mean, what you said, get in the reps, trying everything, uh, taking constructive criticism or whatever it is, there's a lot that's in there. And, you know, I know when a lot of people that come up to me and say, well, what's the secret? There's that. And then you've also got to find ways to, to get yourself out there. So there's a, uh, it's, it's a big job, but uh, I think you've got to do it the right way, Charlie. You've done it. You've really, you've really done that so far in, in moving here and moving into a, in, into an industry where, it's, we always talk about soccer growing. It's got a long way to go, but you have these, you have these outlets and they're all trying, they're all trying to present it in a certain way. I know CBS is doing, and you guys have a lot of fun and it's, it's, it's good to let the personalities. Cause I think we've gotten away from that. So it's a, how has that been for you to, to show people who Charlie is? And also on the flip, tell your story, because like you mm -hmm. said, I mean, you've had, You've had ebbs and flows, man, like no one ever in this industry yeah. and overcome them. And that obviously we, we, we know about making one stronger, thickening your skin and knowing when you go through these seismic 
life uh, changing uh, events that it's, it's you lean into that and show that. And I've seen that where you are an open book. You say, look, this is these are things I've experienced and these are things that uh, I can lean into when I talk about even soccer or sports. You know, what? it's for me, I've had, you know, these these life changing experiences and, and you learn from them. You have to. And there's one way. I mean, there's two ways to look at every experience that you, you have. You have to overcome. It's either a negative or a positive way. And so if you choose the positive way, it's always going to be better in the end, because why would you hold on to something? And, you know, I used to remember before my accident, which I felt like is a, is a different lifetime. You know, you have this ego and you have this persona and you have these goals and nothing else kind of matters. Right. And then everything gets flipped upside down one day. You, you know, nothing's a given anymore. You can't take anything for granted. And it's about building yourself back up and understanding that experiences are what matter in life, the people around you. And so for me, I, I really want to take advantage of the second chance at, at life. And yes, I had to build myself back up, but I had all the people around me that were supporting me. And I, and I, I made sure that they knew I appreciated it, you know, from, from the very get go. And so, um, yeah, the CBS crew, it's a dream because we all shared the, uh, the, the locker room. We all shared uh, experiences on the pitch together. And, you know, for, for Clint, this is his first real experience doing it. And I think I've always known Clint to be this way, to, but he's never really showed, showed himself to the media how he really feels, how he thinks. And, and so this has been great to do it with him because um, we were always so close off the pitch. Gooch and, and, and Mo, both, uh, you know, some of my closest friends uh, to this day, literally since we, we've met each other. So it's a dream. And Kate Abdo... Um, it's someone that, you know, we started off in not really knowing each other. And now we're, we're super tight. The group is literally a dream to be with because we, we all really, it's almost like we, we love each other. We're a family. We oh, we're working together. That part shows, you know, man. No one's, no one's like trying to steal the limelight and like, I got to be the star, which is awesome. I think for me, it's having that balance of yes, showing my character. I'm fun. I'm happy, but also like, I love to dive deep into analysis. Like I'm a huge fan of the game. I watch it and I've always had that passion uh, for studying the game and being a student of it. So having that balance, um, it, it's always tough, but it's fun. And I think we do a pretty good job at it. And we're only getting better. I mean, this was our first year. Um, it's, it, it sucks that, you know, it, do, it doesn't seem like it's going to be lasting forever <laughs> because uh, <laughs> Turner won the rights, but um I mean, we, we've really enjoyed it, man. That's so crazy about the rights because you don't know which many pass and you want to get comfortable. And every mm -hmm. time a rights things come up, everyone freezes, like how it's, it's going to alter and, you know, hats off, you know, even when Stu and Mo were with Turner and it's, and it changed and it's like, you know, this is your livelihood and chasing that is hard, but you can put uh, yourself absolutely. in a good position, but you just don't know. And this is going to continue to change. I mean, there's some long-term contracts. Obviously we have the champions league, CBS and city. Yeah. You have the Premier League, you have MLS. And look, we're all in here waiting for this MLS uh, all deal to come. <laughs> we're all in this. We're all, this is, I always tell people, what's it like? I go, we talked to you. Hey, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? What do you think it's going to be like? How's it going to be different? Is it going to be the same? We'll all find out soon enough, but it's going it, to, there's going to be changes and we all have to be ready. And it's a, it's a great lesson, but it's tough. This is a tough business. But you just got to stay, you stay active and, and see where it goes from there. But uh, it's, um, right. 
And by the way, with Clint, it, like I said, I go, I didn't know how he would be on it, but it looks like he's having a good time. What's he, what's he said about doing this now for the first year and how, uh, how he, how he prepares for his presentation? I think Clint's been pleasantly surprised. He, he really enjoys the crew one. And I think he had to be in that type of situation where he didn't feel that, that it was a competition for airtime. It wasn't a competition for who's going to make the most money or who's going to be the star for him. It was, if we're going to do this, then I want it to be, you know, a, a feeling where we're all in it together, that this is a real team. And so I think he instantly felt that comfort level in the beginning, but then it's just getting used to having your points come across uh, on the TV exactly the way you meant for them to come across uh, on the, on the screen. So uh, he's grown tremendously. I mean, he's, he's, he's as good as they come. He's one of the goats, right? So uh, for him to be a part of it and, and understand, um, you know, where this current generation is and sharing that it's, it's been awesome. I think he's really enjoyed it. I think for him, it's, uh, he's, he's invested like all of us, you know, he's an emotional guy. So sometimes it's like, Hey, let's dial back that emotion because like, like all of us, or for most of us who, who have that, it's really, it shows on his face. So when the U S do really well, he's pumped. And when they're not doing well, it shows, you know, <laughs> yeah. and for us, we always have it, the away games. Boots on. <laughs> Max, every time we have the, the games, we have the away games. Yeah. How often are, are the U.S. shining away from home? Not, <laughs> not too often. <laughs> that's a great point. We get the difficult games. I can tell you that. I don't know. And that's what, well, let's talk about the national team because it's, we haven't got there. And there's just this perception. There's a new f- group of fans that say, you know, we shouldn't be struggling with El Salvador away. We shouldn't be struggling with uh, Costa Rica or whomever it is away, but we still do. And it's, it's part of this qualification process. Are, are we supposed to be doing better in these games? Cause I always def- I always want to defend them because we don't know. And in Europe or South America, they don't have that experience of going to El Salvador or Panama. There's a group, there's a, there is a, 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 a list of challenges that is unlike anywhere in the, uh, in the, anywhere else in the world. How do we explain that to people who are not from here or are new to the game so that they know, yes, El Salvador isn't playing France or Argentina but there is a there's our unique challenges that you can never really prepare for. Or how do you prepare as going back to your playing days or hearing stories from players about preparing? Why is it that it is as challenging as it is? Well, there are a number of factors. Right. And I think it affects players differently on, on the team. So when I think of playing in Azteca, Estadio Azteca, is different than the rest of CONCACAF. There's nothing like it. And the ultimate game to play in if you're a U.S. men's national team player, Mexico, U.S., the rivalry, it's the fans. One, I mean, in 2009, they fit 110,000 people into that stadium. I think they've changed the, the look within the Estadio Azteca now, and so there's some more press boxes and, and suites. So I think there's, you know, I think 80,000 might be the capacity now. It's a, it's a lot less. But there's that fear factor. There's the, the history of the stadium, and they build that up because they make sure when you walk in, you're seeing plaques of Pele in the 70 World Cup. You're seeing plaques of Maradona in the 86 World Cup. And so you, you, you feel the, the gravity of that stadium. You're going, oh, man, this is historic ground. This is like the Colosseum in Rome. You know, that's the comparison when I it, – it's really a, a sight to, be, to behold. And then there's probably 10,000 fans outside the stadium as you pull up. So, you know, when they're banging on the bus, you're like, this means something. 
forget the whole antics before when you pull in, there's, there's people trying to prank call your hotel. So you have to give fake names. Then you have people rushing into the hotel with air horns. They're circling the hotel, blasting music. So they're throwing all these things into to the mix. So you're like, for some people, they're like, oh man, I get nervous or I'm starting to think of other things outside of the game. Then the altitude, right? So that's just Azteca. That's just playing L3. You throw in Jamaica or El Salvador or Honduras, Panama, Costa Rica, the, the pitch, the grass, it's off. It's all cut out of whack. It's longer. You can't play the game uh, that you normally play. You have to play long balls, more instance, because the ball's slower. Uh, the fans, so much more intimidating. Are you, are you flying in just the day before the game? Or are you coming in a little bit earlier to get a couple of training sessions, depending on the altitude? They give you bad food or the worst hotels. They try and do it's anything the bad, they can. It's the bad food. I knew it. Bad food. But then on top of that, these players, when you're playing in their country, they're playing for everything. This might be their ticket to a successful life for them, their family, a whole generation. They come into it together as one. This, is, this means everything to them. There's no individuals anymore. You know, club, people are playing for contracts and playing for salaries. People are, are not playing because they're unhappy. When you're playing against these countries, this is everything. This is their World Cup. And sometimes that's hard to grasp when you're on the U.S. men's national team because you're coming from your fancy clubs and your Champions League clubs and your multiple homes and nice cars, and you fly into, you know, San Pedro Sula. And next thing you know, these, all these players are coming from nothing. They have nothing. And a lot of them are like, hey, this is our chance. We're playing against all these guys who have everything. We have nothing. But this is one, can put us in a World Cup. And two, I can feed my family if I perform. And when you're fighting against someone who has nothing and, and they have nothing to lose, there's a big difference. Wow. That's a great answer, uh, Charlie. And it, it really, and people want to say, why can't we channel that? But it's like, especially this generation now, which is, it's all new to them. And I think they're experiencing that. And I thought it was a bit naive for people that first game El Salvador, where we saw Gio Reyna kind of freak out. It was like, we're there. This is the first time and you can't expect them to flip the switch. And I think some people did. And I was, I, I think that was just, just not fair for, for mm -hmm. the most part. And they're still learning. We'll see that, but They'll get a chance again, as you mentioned, the Azteca on the 24th, there'll be a game in Costa Rica, which are historically the two toughest places for the United States to get a result. And then there's going to be this incredible roster announcement coming up here for Greg Berhalter. And there's going to, you know, Chris Richards is still injured. So we don't know if maybe John Brooks or someone gets back in the mix. So defensively, there's going to be some interesting choices for sure. Uh, Weston McKinney's out, saw him at the, uh, Bank of California Stadium last night. He has a big grin on his face about, you know, he's enjoying life. But he's obviously disappointed, not only missing out with the national team in March, but for the rest of the season with Juventus. A lot of pieces that are going to, uh, I think, bring some new players into view. Now, the number one thing on the list, and you obviously played this position as a number nine, who's it going to be? Ricardo Pepe's not really playing at Augsburg. Spotty didn't even come off the bench last game. Josh Sargent's playing well, but not as the number nine. And then Jordan Pifak, who hasn't been called in, is scoring, but we just don't know if he is aligned as the best option for how Greg Berhalter is going to play. I think that's the reason. Jossie Zardes, maybe Jordan Mars. Who, I see, who, who do you think is going to play number nine? I'm starting to think I'm leaning into Sargent, which would be crazy. 
because he hasn't been in the last couple camps. But I, I don't know. It's a big one. It is a big one. And, and, and that's probably the, that's the biggest question mark for this U.S. men's national team. We saw what Ricardo Pepe is capable of, right? But again, we talk about consistency. And with this position, it has not been consistent since Clint Dempsey back in the day. Um, so you're thinking about what does the future look like? I think Greg Berhalter wants a, a striker who can, who can play different styles, right? I think Jordan Peefolk, yeah, he's a, he's a goal scorer, but he's one-dimensional. I think for Greg Berhalter, he wants a player who can make runs deep, who can hold up the ball, who can combine, who can connect, who can press, who can play long ball if needed, but also can come back and check deep and create space in behind because you're drawing center backs in. So maybe if you're playing with wingers who have a little bit more pace, Timothy Wea, Christian uh, Pulisic, maybe in some cases Gio Reyna, you need to have a player who's multidimensional. And I think that's where that's what hurts Jordan Pifuk because he doesn't have the most pace. He's not a player who's you know really good at his feet. He's not going to beat players on the dribble. Now, not to say that Josh Sargent is, but he's much more mobile. He's playing, he's playing games. So it's not like he's not match fit. You don't have to worry about that part. He's playing in, in the best league in the world. Is he playing strikers? Is he scoring goals? No. But he gives you. I guess that, that work ethic and you know what you're going to get from Josh Sargent, right? It's, you don't have to worry about his, his the, the amount of distance he's covering or his runs. You just have to worry about him scoring goals and putting himself in a position to score goals. I think in the end, you, you got to go with someone who's match fit and someone that you believe in. And I think that's why he leaned on Jossie Zardes for so long yep. because he, he knows him. He played with him. Now that Jossie Zardes isn't starting, you can't make that argument that, you're not going to start for the Columbus crew. And now all of a sudden you're going to start for the U S men's national team. That doesn't work like that. But I do think right now, if you had to pick it's between Jordan P folk and Josh Sargent, those are your, uh, your two uh, players. And that's crazy. Cause neither of them were in the camp last time. It's, it's been, but you, I, I think Josh could help out. As you said, he is such a hardworking player. He might be able to put out some fires on the defensive end. We've seen him do that with Norwich, just filling gaps here and there. So I, I think like everyone else, us two are going to be sitting there going, how's it going to, who's getting called in? I think they both get called in. Who is going to start that game, particularly at the Azteca? Christian Pulisic, and I mentioned this early on this podcast, may have played the best he's played uh, at least in a couple years on the, over the weekend Saturday against Burnley. How have you seen him respond to playing, of, of not playing regularly, then playing, not playing in the right position, now playing in the right position and taking on a bigger role. Because this could have gone so many ways. This could have been pretty bad for Pulisic and he could be sitting on that bench miserable. And it's the exact opposite. And I knock on wood, the injuries hopefully don't come up. This is this tells a lot about this guy. Well, Max, I would tell you from 2018, right? Failing to make the World Cup. He's proven to me that he always responds. This isn't a player who's made it to this level, who's going to give up, who's soft. That's not Christian Pulisic. He's always wanted to prove himself. I think where he struggles is when he does respond and he is positive, he typically gets, gets injured. That's his problem. His injuries have, have really derailed his progress because he'll get going, he's in form, and all of a sudden it's an injury, and that sets him back. Because at the clubs he's playing at, when you're at that level, your backup is, is arguably world-class. Right. And in some cases, hasn't gotten the opportunities that they deserve. Your injury 
puts you out and then they start to have success. Now you have to wait even longer. So it's not only about recovering from your injury and then trying to build your match fitness with these little substitution appearances, but it really sets you back. He's had to prove himself everywhere he's gone. He's got that chip on his shoulder, which I love. So I think for him with the U.S. men's national team where he's really struggled is everyone thinks he's Captain America. He's got to do it all. So when he's on the pitch, he's taking extra touches. He's trying to do everything. And it's not because he doesn't believe in everyone else or trust other players. He just thinks that's what he needs to do to have success with this team. Less is more for Christian Pulisic with the U.S. men's national team. So I think, I think he's going to get there. We all know how talented he is. He's the most talented U.S. player to have ever played. Now, if he can put it together and be consistent for year after year, then he could go down as the best player to ever play. But he's not there, and he's nowhere near there until he does that consistently for years. And you look at Clint Dempsey, you look at Landon Donovan, and those two players come to mind whenever you're talking about the best of all time for the U.S., but they were so consistent for so long, and both with club and country. They qualify, right? They get through here. And I hope Kalushik has a big game against Azteca. It's poised for him to have a big-time game, and that would be fantastic. It is. But how do, you, how do you see it? We get in, we get comfortably through? I, I think we get in. I, I, see, the, I see the Mexican team, uh, the game in Azteca. I see that as a uh, – they're very vulnerable. And I think the pressure – they feel the pressure. Tata Martino feels the pressure. The U.S. have gotten the better of them. This is going to be like a rabid dog, this Mexican side, because they know their backs are up against the wall. If they fail, if they lose to the U.S., it could easily be them not going to the World Cup or having to play in that, in that, that um, playoff game. I think for the U.S., they know we need a draw, but you cannot play for a draw at Azteca. You have to play for the win. It's uh -huh. got to be smart, but you have to be organized and be effective. And so we talk about Josh Sargent in this game. Maybe it's just the work ethic to defend, create more space, and you're relying on your wingers to be the goal scorers, or you're relying on a set piece because that's where Mexico has have been extremely weak. And you have big center backs like Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, who have had success off the set pieces. And then um, I look at the, the home game against Panama. It's a must win. Yep. If they win that game, I think they're in regardless, regardless of the other two the, games. Yes. Yep. I, I do think regardless. And then Costa Rica, it's not like Costa Rica are great. They're very difficult to break down. They're a fantastic defensive team, but attacking wise, they're missing a lot of pieces. I mean, you hope Joel Campbell can do something special, but for me, it's, it's a team that plays off of, of counterattacks and set pieces and they hope for the best. The U S in my opinion, are going to, are going to qualify comfortably. Yeah. And I think there's an opportunity for Mexico. And I, like I said, I, I, I think most people say, let's get a point, but you do have to play to win. And I think they will. And I think they'll make Mexico uncomfortable. Charlie Davies, you are the man. I want to do this again pretty soon. Is that all right? A hundred percent. Anything for you, Mac. Because I know Anything. I, I got tired because I want to get more into MLS and talk about some other things, but it's a delight talking to you. You can see you've put the work and just smart answers. I appreciate you joining me here in the business end on the soccer OG. Hey, you're a legend. <laughs> you're a legend. I'm, I'm glad I can call you a friend. I love seeing that smiling face. Absolutely. Charlie Davies, everyone. We'll continue here with Stoppage Time. We'll talk about what happened down in Mexico this weekend. now for stoppage time and if you haven't seen uh, the images from what happened over the weekend at the Estadio Corregidora in what looks to be a, a planned 
attack of kinds by, and I don't want, look, there's a lot of fingers to point. We'll, we'll point some of them here. Uh, you can go see them, but they're, they're so troubling. To me, the worst thing I have seen around a sports, you know, and it, we think of horrible things, specifically that happened in soccer, but to me it was, it was images that looked out of a movie. And there were fans, as Atlas and Querétaro fans attacked each other. There was reports of, you know, metal bars, knives, chains, uh, all sorts of horrific things to hurt other humans. And we think of horrible things that's happened in soccer and, you know, the Hillsborough and the Heisel tragedies, stadium disasters, which came from overcrowding, etc. That, you know, those things, you know, you don't want to see those images ever again. And you don't want to see these either. The stadium thing, these are it's two different things because this was planned. This was clearly uh, organized beforehand where there was intent to do harm. These other things were accidents. This was done with intent. And you see a lot of the Mexican media talking about these folks. And none of them have been arrested uh, as a- assassins, asesinos. And they have to be taken into custody and they have to see the the, the law thrown at them. Um, we've we haven't really gotten the gist of what has occurred. There's a lot of reports saying there were no fatalities. Twenty two injured. Uh, that was the official um, comment from some of the politicians there, the, the the governor of the state of Querétaro. And what do we believe with these reports? There were fans there that said they were dead people. I walked by them. A friend of mine, there was some lady in this interview who uh, said, no, naming the victims. I saw what appeared four dead bodies uh, on my screen that just lied there without moving for um, several minutes. And there was, I mean, I hope I'm not painting too much a picture if you haven't seen it. Don't watch it if you don't want to. Uh, it's just something we have to address because we've never seen anything like this. But there were uh, reports of these ultra fans, rival cartel members possibly, walking over bloodied, what appeared bloody dead. No, definitely bloody. What appeared dead, naked, stomping on uh, on people that were on the ground, whether they were dead or alive. Uh, I saw what I saw. Uh, David David Medrano of TV Azteca listed the death total of 17. So it's all. Nothing's official, but we just don't know. But it's hard to see that and say that we this is unscathed. Um, the Jalisco governor, Enrique Alfaro, said there was no death Saturday night. What will be reported afterwards? But it's been quiet as I report this on a Monday, and that happened on a Saturday. Who do we hold accountable for? Is this a football problem? Is this something that the clubs have to... Um, alleviate or be held responsible is there is the fmf the Feder, mexican football federation how much responsibility will they take responsibility because there is a, a history we've been told of cover-ups and my a former guest here on the soccer g hercules gomez has said it he goes mexico has a history of distrust with government officials over death tolls people go missing we've seen it with students and then nothing's ever reported so what about the outside pressure CONCACAF made a statement, uh, pretty much a slap on the wrist. You know, uh, you know, CONCACAF moved heaven and earth with this chant. 
and again, I don't know who to blame here, but we, we, we got we to gotta get the information down first. But we don't know if we're going to get it because of what I was telling you about what Hercules was saying. Uh, this is the darkest day for Mexican soccer because we've never seen anything like this. And we've also heard reports about there's responsibility. If somebody died in a stadium, then these clubs are on the hook. So why don't report it that they died at the hospital? I mean, this is really macabre stuff. This is stuff that is stomach-turning, but I don't want to talk about it here. But we have to, right? I don't know what's going to change here, but I believe that the, the pressure has to come from outside. So CONCACAF has to do something. FIFA and... I don't want to get into the point of, hey, do we pull World Cup games in 2026? Or what happens at the game in the Azteca, which is obviously they do have to address. Or does what happened with the clubs relate to what happens on the national team? But you got to come in hard. I I believe Querétaro, it's their stadium. They were responsible with the security. They are the ones that we really have to put on the spotlight. I'm sorry. That is, this cannot happen. The security, there's videos of, you know, people almost opening the door so that these fan bases could engage each other. I mean, it was security at the very worst. And, of course, the question comes up, if you can't keep this secure, what makes you think when visitors from outside of Mexico come, how are they going to feel secure? You know, I was doing the LAFC game. I I, I gave I give some tickets away, and the, the, the person reached out to me on DM and goes, I don't want to go there because I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. And obviously, it's a different story here. And, you know, MLS, we've got to talk about it because they're getting in a relationship with League MX. They have this League's Cup coming in. And MLS has to look at it and go, wait a minute. Uh, we don't want this stain. We don't want to be associated with this. You've got to fix this. Heads have got to roll. But where does that pressure come from? Uh, there's so many layers to this, whether it's a cover-up, whether it was uh, orchestrated, wh- who to blame? Is this a football problem? Is it a political problem? Is this a cultural problem? Is this, uh, uh, what, are the, what is the realization of the damage here? How many people died? How many injured? Because we're hearing so many different reports. I saw the fans from outside there and they were looked just absolutely cold and said, no, Friend of mine is dead. And they brought in this, this, uh, ice picks into there. Depends on who you believe, but I just don't know. I just don't know. I believe those people outside the stadiums because they spoke with uh, an honesty that was just chilling. Another question you ask, can this happen somewhere else? And Mexico has all this history as we kind of got into, which is a problem, but is... This can happen somewhere else. We've seen it get really close. Could this happen in the United States? I would never say it couldn't. Could it happen in Europe? Could it happen in South America? It happens a fair bit. Not like this, but you see fans going at each other. Uh, the, the organized crime aspect of it is, I don't know how they address it. Look, there's Mexico is, is, has changed so much um, uh, with safety issues in certain places. And... There is an organized crime element that may be involved. Again, I don't know. But you got to look at everything. You know, Mikel Ariola of Liga MX saying no more away supporter groups, stadium suspended. Well, that's, I mean, that is just not going to cut it. It's got to be much more. And they got to find these people. they got to put them in jail or worse. But who do we believe are these political sides? 
We'll keep an eye. The thing is that we're going to keep an eye on this, but what we have to know is it, it can't go away. It cannot go away. And if it does go away, that's when outside forces have to come in. And you, you hate to punish places that weren't involved, Mexico fans in Mexico City or Yucatan or wherever it is, but this is so serious because those images I will I I will take for me forever. I will never forget what I saw. That outside forces are probably the way to go. We'll wait and see. And I probably said more than I should here, but I was just really fired up. And I I, I don't want to be the moral authority here telling folks what to do because I don't know. I'm not I, I didn't I wasn't there. It's just what I see on this. But I want some answers. We all deserve answers, and we need to deserve some honesty. Appreciate everyone checking out the Soccer OG. We'll be back again next week. We're getting closer to USA-Mexico at the Aztec, and who knows what that's going to look like after what we just discussed here. Thanks for checking us out. Share the Soccer OG. We'll continue to come strong for you, and we appreciate everyone checking this out. We'll be back, as always, next week. And until then, Placido Domingo. Domingo.